Hey, awesome nerds, and welcome to another episode of D&D and TV, the weekly podcast where we rewatch and recap television shows we really enjoy and talk about how the themes, concept, and characters could be used in different role-playing games. I am your host, Jeremy, and I, oh, well, we are watching this week, that time I got reincarnated as a slime, uh, and a couple of episodes from that, episodes seven and eight, but I am joined by the palpably capable Caleb, that's the words I'm going with. Uh, who is currently floating? Yeah, and you're currently floating in the middle of um, like this sort of weird, cloudy sky, just uh, levitating ominously. It's a bit concerning, honestly. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like every now and then, you just got to get away from it all. You know, sometimes you got to just transcend yourself. And uh, that's right. Yeah, come come to terms <laughs> with just it's, it's very peaceful up here. You know. Yeah, it did look very peaceful. It did look very peaceful. Um, uh, we are talking about, as I said, that time we got reincarnated as slime episodes seven and eight, Conqueror of Flames and Inherited Will, uh, in which the demon lord Leon Cromwell summoned Shizu out of Tokyo as it burned during the air raids, then forced the high-ranked spirit Ifrit to possess her. Then, when Shizu was still with demon lord Leon, it was a hero who rescued her. That was, yeah. Good synopsis. Well done. Uh, I'm glad yes. I cut out the rest of it. An, an improvement. <laughs> Much of an improvement, but it really does. I honestly think I don't need to watch this show anymore. I could just read the synopsis like for the rest of the season and I'll know what will happen. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's like, what I've been doing. I mean, it's it's the details, though. It's the details. Yeah, yeah, it's the details. Like, I would have missed that awesome boss battle with Ifrit mm. uh, that came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. It, that that it does. That it does. Um, it's it's something these that are, does mm. translate a lot better in the light novel, considering that they do yeah. it like at the end of each major chapter. Um, it's one thing that I maybe have an issue with in terms of the way the the show is structured, uh, because it is very much an info dump. Um, this episode, this. Does, I don't know. Info dump didn't really fit. Like it was an info dump. You're right. It's it's just hey, this thing's happened, and she was there, but it felt to me like the end of the book. Like Absolutely. it, it very clearly felt like this is the end of an arc because yes. they had like a little epilogue at the end, but there was a boss battle before it, and then the next episode was like, well, here's what happens. Not what happens next, but here's all the threads getting tied up that you've already been introduced to. Precisely. And actually, within the original light novel, this was the end of the first book. There you go. There you go. I know originally when we talked about doing this show, this was where I thought we'd we'd stop if we were doing it uh, eight episodes. I'm glad we didn't. Um, I think there would have been some... there would have been some episodes where I'm like, I've got nothing to talk about this week. Like, <laughs> some, some Dragon Ball Z shit going on there. And that's about yeah. it. Exactly. Like, you know, there's... It, the plan's been exploding for five minutes for about, you know, two years around now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what was the other episode there? Uh, Inherited Will. Um, so this is... This is, um, well, the one where Shizu's all like, hey, this is where I come from. This is how I got it free from the Demon Lord. Please eat me. Yeah. Which um, I thought is actually quite a um an interesting um yeah. trait. Um so something that was a really very interesting idea. Like you do note that she has spent a lot of her life in this world and she does um does have memories, but she's you know she's still like this is this has never really felt like my home yeah i i did like that that she wanted to be consumed she wanted to be with someone who knew the world she was from yeah yeah i really liked that i thought this was honestly much sweeter to me than the what was it the the montage of how um japan had changed yes and you can sort of see how in retrospect i really enjoy the scene of the Japan changing stuff, but this is because I've seen the later episodes. Yeah. Knowing the nostalgia and hurt that she has surrounding all that. Uh, but it's something that is only really conveyed if you're if this is your second watch or if you've read the novels before. Yeah, I feel like the novel in particular would have spaced a lot of this out. 
and even even the even the flashback to when she finds the girl with the Pokemon and has to then destroy her because it doesn't mm-hmm. like the de- it doesn't like Oliver Cromwell. Um, yep. Or Leon Cromwell. No, I'm going to call him Oliver because <laughs> it's it's funnier to me. <laughs> well, look, he deserves all the insults he, um, he gets. He's he's a twat. Uh, yeah, even that, it felt like that would have been very, that could have been an entire episode to itself. Like that mm. build up of trying to keep the animal secret, trying to do, you know, this friendship between the two of them. And at the end, oh, cool, I've got a killer. Um, yeah. But it was done in like maybe under a minute, maybe two. Yeah. Maybe and I can see in a novel, like in a prose novel, maybe even in a manga, that that would have been much more extended and would have had much more of an impact well, than, actually, hey, here's a girl you never knew before. A light novel. <laughs> well, actually, because it was a light, a light novel, it was honestly around about that speed in the light novel as well. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, because they're only meant to be short. It, it's not... Um, like, if you really wanted to expand it out to, like, a novel novel... Like, think, think of light novels more as, like, novellas. They tend oh. to be more fast-paced. Um which is yeah. why they can translate so well to anime. Um, yeah. Because you don't have to cut all that much out. Mm. Um, but actually, uh, on that, um, I wanted to ask about um, how you handle control in your D&D games. Because on that scene, when like she does something that you know she really would not have done mm-hmm. um, as a character, like killed her best friend, um, how do you handle doing that in a D&D game? Oh, like mind control, like... Um, yeah, exactly. Charm person, stuff like that. I, I depend on what the spell is. Like, mm. they all sort of have the same effect, but there are different levels to them. If it's something like D&D, you get things like suggestion, you get things like charm person, you get things like dominate monster. I go by the wording of what it, the name of the spell is. For, mm. for the severity of it. Like, Dominate Monster is you are directly taking control of them, and it would be like this. She has no control. She is just a passenger now. Uh, yeah. Whereas something like Charm Person is a lot more friendly. Like, mm. she, in if, if this was a case of Charm Person, it would be she doesn't want to do this, but she understands Cromwell's thoughts well enough that it's the only choice of action. Absolutely. What and, I love doing when it comes... Sorry, can you continue? Oh, I, I was just going to say, if I'm as a... That's when the players do it to, to NPCs. When I do it to players, it's a lot more me telling them how they feel. Like, removing yes. the agency entirely. If it's Sharp Person, it's like, no, this guy's your best friend. You want to help him as much as possible, or you just have no control. Like, mm. they... Because they already have so much control that I remove yes. any agency from them when I do this. Mm, mm. No, that's, that, that's a good, that's a good route. And, and that's definitely um, plays in well to the whole idea of losing control and losing that agency. Mm. I think, um, especially when it comes to charm person, something I really like doing. Um, I've done this a couple of times now when I've sort of explained like implanted a false memory. I remember at the end of one of my sessions, I um, used Charm Purse on one of the players and they, they were a new player. They didn't really have a, what's the word? Um, and much of an idea of what had just happened. They so, didn't grasp the full, the full um, nature of it. The full extent, or at least... At, at that stage, I assumed that they didn't. So what I did, I opened up the next session by giving them this false flashback um, of, you know, this particular character being lost to the sea when they were quite young, when they were traveling around. Um, and they, they were quite sweet and they weren't able to save them. And now suddenly this person has shown up again. Um, that And that's the person that just used charm person on them. Um, yeah. So creating a situation for your players or your player character where they would feasibly um, dart 
attacking or defending um, against the rest of the party. So, like, you know, the party's attacking a friend or the party is something that is not what they appear to be. Mm. That's um, a good one. Yeah. Like, um, instead of saying, hey, you do not have control here, say you have gotten very, very different information um, and act, uh, put that into the way of playing the rest of the game, which is I give you information, you react to it accordingly. And mm -hmm. it just so happens in this particular case, you give them false information, wrong mm. information, um, and makes it a lot better when, you know, the spell finally drops um, and they've been acting along these lines and you just go, oh yeah, no, that's all bullshit. <laughs> the, the look of betrayal they give you is fantastic every time. <laughs> you need to debrief them afterwards. Like, no, no, it's just a game. I'm not actually like, this was a little like, social experiment we did on you. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's gaslighting, but it's fun. It is. It's, it's gaslighting fun for fun. Yeah, yeah. It's gaslighting like, amongst friends. Who doesn't mind that? Yeah, like, did you do you realize just how crazy you sounded? Oh my god! <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, oh, I always, I always give players an out. Like, mm. let's say I charm the barbarian or something. I charm the big heavy hitter, and go, yeah. "Your friends are now your enemies. You need to stop them." I would say you stop them the way you would normally stop anyone. So if that's like, say, a ranger who usually does a lot of area control, if they're someone who talks people down, if it's a bard or something like that, that's what they're going to do. Mm. It might just be taking that person out of the fight. It might be just switching them onto another side. But if it's a heavy hitter, like it's a tank or something like that, they may attack everyone else. Yeah. But it may also be you might just try to subdue them. Like I try to keep Absolutely. it as until I get like proper dominated. Like if someone else takes full control of them, they still act yeah. according to their nature. Yeah. And I, I, I certainly have uh, players who seem to appreciate that because, well, normally it's the barbarian that gets taken control yeah. of because that's what you do. You take control of the barbarian. He's the scariest or exactly. she's the scariest. And, mm -hmm. but when it's the bard or someone else, suddenly it's like, well, what other things can you do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you still I certainly see these people as your friends. You don't want to kill your friends. So maybe you find absolutely. other ways of incapacitating them. Like maybe you just yeah, knock them out. The it's like, great. that I did it to um, used sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think so, that's a really yeah. important thing in games like D&D &D because a spell like, it's kind of the nitty gritty of combat now. It's taking that character out of the fight without... Mm making it this huge thing of you stab me so many times. Yeah. Like they're still no longer being a threat to the NPC. And that to me feels like a real encounter. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, the dilemmas are fantastic when it comes to yeah. sort of encounters. Um, Do we kill them or not? That, <laughs> that, that, uh, <laughs> that, that change of perspective was actually reflected um, in that scene with Shizu, um, where essentially she turns around and says, an enemy. Um, yeah, a threat or something. A threat, yeah. Um, and yeah. Just See, I wondered about that. Is that, point of view, yeah. was that like a, a um, what do you call it? A, a brainwashing thing that Crom, well, I guess we'll find out. We might find out. A brainwashing thing that Cromwell's put in her that now she sees these things as if she sees a threat, this is how she responds. Or was he taking control and going, Oh no, Pokemon attack. I'm going to go get my bodyguard out. Um, it was definitely a case where, you know, in the end, Cromwell didn't see it as a threat. Like, yeah. Cromwell okay, cool. The most powerful demon Lord. Like they say it right there. Like one of yeah. the most powerful demon Lords. Um, oh, when the bird guy shows up and's like, I'm going to kill you with my fork. They're just like, look, I'm not even going to dignify this with me attacking you. Um, here's the spirit that I summoned. Um, you deal with that. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, like Cromwell has control of the spirit, which in turn has 
um, a level of control over Jizu. Um, but yeah, like okay. a, a little puppy does not threaten Cromwell. He only killed um, the servant and the dog just to, because they were annoying him. Right. Like he's, okay, so it was kind of like he contacted a freak and was just like, deal with it. And yeah. a freak took over. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Now, um, I got to say, a freak's jacked. Way. Oh, yeah. If, if it's mad jacked. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, environmental things, um, because that's that's something that was really, the, probably the most interesting things about the um, Ifrit fight were the environmental um Oh, when like they aspect if it creates the like the lava circle around Rimuru? Yeah, the lava circle, um taking out um a lot of the supplies. Um you had some Oh, is that what they were doing? Everything was hot. Um well like when the um little lesser spirits were flying over and setting fire to all the supplies and the materials and stuff like that, just because yeah. everything was so goddamn hot. I don't know. See, I thought they were just destroying for fun. I mean, yeah. That was uh, not clear course, to me. Like, oh, yeah. Like, this is the thing. They were destroying just for fun. But in terms of what matters to the players, um, yeah. I always like putting in, like, villagers that need help or stuff that might need to be kept alive or little extra things that they can use around to buff up their chances or maybe the enemies can see around are just like oh let's let's create a little bit more of a dilemma like creating those mm. dilemmas again like they don't explore it too much with this combat but an idea of having to maybe keep some supplies out of the way or some materials and stuff like that can make for a more interesting encounter well this was a like a piece I feel like this was a great set piece of how to do a boss battle. Yeah. Like, I well, guess it well, kind well, of came down to... Well, the way it was kind of in stages mm. that you had the the decision of do we all fight him or do we have to send summers off, some people off to save the village? Mm. And it's like that decision. Okay, we need to save the village. That's important. There's a whole ways, bunch of ways you could do that. Maybe those players were out that week. But it's like, well, it doesn't matter. They're off to save the village. You don't have to worry about the villagers now. That's okay because everything's going to yeah. be focused here. And then you have the first, the minions, the mooks come through as if it kind of just stands back and watches just to weaken the party up before like the big actual battle. And they've got to deal with those first. And that's where after you've dealt with those, it's kind of giving the the people the chance to to fight because exactly. in the end of this, it's going to be Rimuru versus Afrit. But that idea of, now we can bring out the big guns. This is just the warm-up. This is so you can get an idea of what the weaknesses are, what's the best way to tackle this, that kind of thing. It was just a nice way of escalating the stakes each time, but still Absolutely. keeping that threat the whole way through. Precisely. The um, best thing that you can do, this is why there's always a dungeon before a boss battle, because yeah. boss battles are so, so much better when they're... When the players are having to improvise resources more. Yeah. Um, if you are going in completely healed up, if you are going in with all your spell slots ready to go and with all the information possible, chances are it's going to be a pretty easy boss battle and not or, going to feel like much of a battle. Or it's going to be a Final Fantasy that. battle where you have like three different versions of the boss who just stomps you each time and you really have to have stocked up with stuff because the save point exactly. isn't earlier. Yeah. Exactly. And that's the thing. It's, it's, it's about trying to see what resources are available mm. um, and how can you just sort of eke out those resources because that's what a lot of RPGs are at their core. They're, they are a test of your resource management. Um, yeah. How well are you able to manage your items and your spell slots slash MP uh, before you uh, get rid of the other guy's resources. Yeah. And in this case, um, resources are also hit points. Exactly. Hmm. 
I particularly like a boss battle like this. It's not really doesn't really work as well for D and D, but when it's something like um, uh, Monster of the Week or Fate or one of the other games where the boss doesn't even have hit points, like mm. you can do whatever you want to them, they're always going to be just standing there implacably until you figure out what their weakness is. Yes, and in this case, like we see it, he Ifrit uses like a whole bunch of things. And it's only once he realized, or they realized that it doesn't work on Rimuru. He's like, huh, what? And Rimuru is just able to like wipe the floor with him and predator him. Yeah. And that idea of like, oh, now I figured out your weakness. Now it's an easy fight. But before that, it's like yeah. that, ah, ah, trying to figure out, like trying different things, trying to stay alive, that real panic until you get to that mm. moment. Absolutely. It's, um, well, it's what I think both, Zelda and Dark Souls function on, both of which are ostensibly adventure role-playing games, um, much like D&D, which is there is a moment of learning the pattern and learning mm -hmm. what is available to your opponent and dealing with all of that. And usually over the course of the battle, your party should be going okay, I can't be getting too close or I can't be getting within this line because last time we were in this line, uh, this guy did like a breath weapon that yeah. absolutely decimated us and we only just managed to survive. And we had to spend resources to get back up as well as we're running around. And making sure to find that pattern and all the while using those brief moments of space that you have, because chances are using a movement to get out of the way, you're using your action to try and heal back anything that you had. Your Keep someone else action, alive, yeah. Exactly. Your bonus action should be spent looking around or making call-outs. Um, it should be spent... Um, looking at your opponent and being like, okay, do I see anything there that is essentially the big red glowing button that's yeah. going to turn this guy off? Yes. And I think um, that's because you look at so much fiction, look at so much media, and it's mm -hmm. never the, the never the heroes ganging up on someone, just curb stomping them until they die. Or yeah. like just thumping them each with in turn with the fist. The Dungeons and Dragons movie really did it kind of the best because that's exactly what happens at the end of it. They all kind of gang up on yeah. on the sword, but that's still a fight, and it still works in in universe and in game. I think. But you look at something like Endgame for Avengers. Everyone has a go at this guy. Everyone's doing it, but it's not physical prowess. It's not going to be some sort of one big punch that's going to take him yeah. down. It's something it's the else. Away. Yeah, and that, I think, works so much better for boss battles like this. It is the chipping away. Ifrit launches everything at, like, the most powerful powers they've got at um, at Rimuru, I'm assuming. Yeah. And they're not enough. Yeah. And it's kind of because like, okay, cool. You've drained him. That's what you needed to do. You need to survive long enough for him to be out of power. Yeah, exactly. Because by and large unless you've got a very intelligent opponent and we're talking like strategy level, if we're talking about in the level of AI um, or DM AI, a lot of these guys are going to probably come out with their most powerful weapon first, if the situation is right. And then as it goes on, that they are going to start scrambling. That tug of war is going to go back around the other way. So like you mentioned, I mentioned the breath weapon. Usually that's on a recharge thing. Might be a situation where suddenly that thing's not recharging and they're having to go down to smaller attacks. Yeah. Um, or they've used up th their spell slots um, for that day. Um, so make it, it should be a chat, like it should be a challenge for the boss just as much as it should be for the players. Like this is exactly. their final moment. It's like, there should be a reason why they lost, not just because someone brought a shotgun instead of a instead of a pistol mm, exactly well that's pretty cool too actually <laughs> it was like a low Absolutely. level boss like, it's like look what i've yeah, got now sure. boom 
but yeah, it's um, it can be, so it yes. can be very, very um, interesting. Um, I well, we go around that idea of bosses not having hit points as well. Mm. Um, one thing I always also try to do, especially with like the sessions we run at uh, Dungeons and Flagons, uh, might give it give away the game a little bit, but I always make sure before the boss um, dies that everyone has had a chance to do something cool. Yeah. Um, because there are some times where the boss, you know, gets knocked out by the third person because someone rolled a crit on a smite and um, suddenly that b half of the boss's HP is gone and just like, well, <laughs> far out. Yeah, um, I feel that a boss in D&D should always survive three rounds. But like, I'm of the opinion that yeah. combat should never go more than three rounds unless it's a boss battle. But a boss battle should always be three rounds or more because then they get a chance to do all the cool stuff that they can. And you really yeah. see it as this epic thing. But also because you get to have that opportunity for everyone to have had a chance to impact the combat. Yeah. Sometimes I'll have, I'll have a boss who's escaping and it's like they've still got half health but if the person who hasn't been able to do anything all fight managed to get a shot off and if it hits i'm just going to get yeah, they're dead because yep. you get to that's the best story in my mind yeah absolutely um if there is a nice arc that you are seeing develop um and that's i think why three rounds can work the best because it can definitely be a set um a situation of preparation set um failure success um you know there's some you know something you prepare something it can fail and then you try something else maybe and it succeeds that's uh very much a payoff there just to play devil's advocate for a minute with that do you then yeah. feel that we're just giving the players a cut scene that has a a predetermined outcome like suddenly they're just getting the they're getting to unload on the boss, but the final part of it will be, okay, everyone's had a turn now, now it dies. Like, it's not really giving them much real agency in it. Well, this is the thing. It's only a situation if the boss is in real danger of dying. So hmm. I reckon that if it's a situation where this is an obvious curb, curb stomp, then absolutely it should maybe feel a little bit more like a cutscene. Because in the end, the challenge that you have set up isn't so much of a challenge. And mm. it's just going to be turned into a numbers game. It's not going to have really much of a push and pull. So it's much better off as a cutscene with some um, payoff narratively um, that it might not be giving mechanically. If it's, a, if it's a situation where there is a definite mechanical push and pull between the boss and the players, then that's when it doesn't become a cutscene. Um, so I guess it depends on how you're feeling about the battle, and that's what you sort of have to keep an eye on as a DM. Are people still engaged and still engaging with it mechanically? Um, in which case, you can let that ride out. Or yeah. is it a situation where maybe you're strapped for time? Or is it a situation where, you know, this battle is sort of turning into just like the only reason that these guys haven't finished the battle is because the dice are being dicks. <laughs> which absolutely happens. Sometimes, you know, people can curb stomp it for quite a few rounds and then suddenly on this last round where it's just like they need one more hit in, everyone's rolling like tens and eights and um, no. sixes. Um, I think is... it is it is that what makes that best story at the time. Exactly. Like, like, what makes it most entertaining? Yeah. I feel like when I run a one-shot, if the boss is going to get away, I try to continue the combat. If people are rolling poorly, I'll try to continue the combat so someone gets a final hit in and, and takes them out. Mm. And usually that will be a mechanical thing. It's like, if the sooner I can do that, the better, if it's a one-shot, yeah. because that way everyone's like, yeah, we got him, yeah. But if it's an ongoing game... I'm going to yeah. play it straight. I'm going to say, hey, if he gets away, he gets away because now you've got a nemesis. Yeah. Someone who's got it out for you. Someone who might influence stuff around. Yes. 
And it's after a few times where that's occurred that it'll come back and it's like, well, he doesn't get away this time. Yeah. I think that's um, what we see with um, Cromwell in um, Slime as well. Suddenly we have a larger goal. Uh, The demon kings or the demon lords have been mentioned sort of since day dot, but now there is a direct caring line between someone that Rimuru cares about and one of the most powerful guys uh, in this realm. And yeah, there there is a certain level of personal stakes. Not so personal yeah. for Rimuru quite yet. Yeah, um, I was going to say, he just like just met this person uh, <laughs> and but, ate her. Yes. Uh, but though was very much looking at her like, you know, oh, this is my destined person. Well, I, get, like, mm, I have some issues with and, that. Yeah? Well, it's the, is there free will concept? It's like, if they hadn't told you, you would have been destined to be with her, would you have actually responded in the same way? Well, I mean, there's also the fact that she is the first person that he's met um, yeah. that is from, like, is, is a connection to his old life. Yeah. And knowing that there are more out there. Like, Shizu is Rimuru's first connection to this wider society of people that have been summoned to this world. Because not only that, but there's also, you know, the kids that she was taught, that she was teaching. There's cool. also the, um, you know, the kid that became Grandmaster. So a very powerful connection to have um in in gracia um, it it just it felt a little bit more of i'm i'm following you around i feel connected to you because people said i would be connected with you and that's not how it ended up playing out thankfully yeah, it did absolutely. like it, it it earned its connection i i feel yes but i feel but that a lot of his actions leading up to that were just because i'm destined to be with you yeah and um, look that's absolutely fair that um you know, this idea of destiny and prophecy, all that sort of stuff, can be a big uh, blow to agency and free will, which is why a lot of the time you probably don't want to put in stuff like prophecies into a D&D game unless it is along a path that your players are already on. Or it's um, super vague and even that then, you can change to, yeah. to match what you need later on. Exactly. Um or you make it so it's not like one big prophecy, but it's one that's responding to what your players are um, are already doing. I love mm. using um, tarot cards or runes in my game to perhaps... And I, I love this little magic trick that I do where basically I have it all set up on the top of the deck there. Um, I've, I've placed... I've already decided, okay, which of these cards or which of these runes represent what's um, happening with your character and what is looking ahead to, you know, be the sort of plot lines I'm going to be setting up. I set those aside behind the thing, behind the DM screen, and then I hand them the rest of the deck and say, hey, shuffle. Um, They shuffle away, and I bring it back, I place their card on top, um, and then make a big show of pulling the card off the top, and bam. Um, they've suddenly gotten a card that is really, or a rune that is really relevant to what they're experiencing as a character, as well as a sign that there is more for their character to come. Um, that's something I reckon can do. That's one of the ways I reckon that prophecy and fate can work well in a and d game. Yeah. But, See, I just, I but, go with the, the classic, if you cross the river, a great empire will fall. And so I never said, you know, who's. I just love the concept of just have this party of people that just go across rivers, just seeing like, oh yeah, let's fuck up the Roman empire. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I always want to give like a bad prophecy to a player where it's like, if you do this oh, thing, yeah. you will doom the world. And then continually be like, yeah, but if you don't do the thing, everyone you love is going to die and, you know, your friends will die and you'll probably doom the world anyway. 
but it really depends. It really requires you to make that choice first. And so that they're slowly like, Spider-Man. Yeah. Make that choice. Spider-Man. Or the woman you love. (laughs) And be like, yeah, yeah. You gotta, you gotta keep stepping up and, and being the leader, knowing that eventually it will doom your society. Mm. Or the loved one. Yeah, I, I I like that idea because I'm mean, but oh, yeah. it's hard that, that, it's hard to really it. build it. That's more of a, a curse. That's actually I like the idea of curses. I want to talk about curses, and that's my segue into it, um, because I feel that's what Shizu kind of has. Absolutely. Like it's the she only refers to it as a curse once, but it is this lifelong. Like, she could have gone the other way and, like, reveled in the fact that she's a destructive monster. Like, that's mm-hmm. one way of, of playing that character. But becoming Conqueror yeah. of Flames, it's like, no, no, I take control of my curse. Mm-hmm. And I always find curses really tricky, particularly mm-hmm. in, in D&D, because, they're fi- like, she's cursed. Great, cool. That cast removed curse, and now she's fine. She cast greater restoration. Now she's fine. Yeah. It's like, how do you make them more telling? Like, I feel other games are much better at having curses or playing into the background of the curse rather than just, oh, it's something that you, it's, it's another STI that you've gotten basically. Yeah. Like that's, that's the thing with D and D because it is so built around the idea that, if you adventure hard enough, you should be able to remove any consequence that you've received. That, you know, yeah. with true resurrection, raise the dead, all that sort of stuff. Um, which is, yeah, to a lesser degree, what remove curse and greater restoration is. I think what would be very interesting would be taking sort of what uh, that time slime has taught us here. The idea of essentially using your curse as an extra tool. Mm. Um, if you can come up with a curse that ostensibly, you know, can be a bad thing, like, you know, let, let's use Shizu as an example. You have a spirit inside you that, let's say it's a wild magic thing, where if you try and use too much of this power, or if you've used it too frequently, you have to roll on a D100 table. And it might turn out to burn you or burn something around you or make you lose control. Um, But if you learn, you know, how many times can I use this before I have to roll on that that table? Uh, How many times can I... How can I basically implement this curse as a part of my character in a positive way? How can I use this as a tool in much the same way that I was using the rest of my abilities? How do I make this another resource? Hmm. It, um, it kind of brings back that cursed with awesome. It's like yeah, exactly. yeah. cursed with awesome. I forgot that one. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta have the um you gotta have those consequences. Absolutely. And I love that idea of giving a player something that seems like a curse, but is beneficial to them, provided they follow the guidelines of the curse. Yeah. They need like to give, be reminded that what they have is a curse. Yeah. Like giving someone lycanthropy. That's the best example for curses that we see a lot mm-hmm. of time. Make yeah. him a werewolf. Great. They get to be a werewolf. They get to do all these cool things. But... They might go berserk. They might attack their friends. And you've got to be super careful. You actually have to start tracking the days because you need to know when that full moon is. Yeah. And if you don't, yeah, it's it's that kind of that thing. Because I feel a lot of players want the fun aspects of the well, everyone wants the fun aspects of the curse when it's curse will awesome and not actually the bad side of it. Yeah. And it's the that's when they start to be like, oh well, we've got to get rid of this. There's a yep. little bit of, I I really want to have curses that have such a good side that you don't want to get rid of it. Yeah. But, but such a bad side and you, you get it sometimes, but it's worth sticking around because of that good stuff. It's like that to me is a curse. That's a real yeah. curse. Yeah. And that's the, that's the sort of curse that, um, 
that great stories are made out of. You know, whenever someone gets a cursed sword, they keep on using it because it is something that allows them to protect people, do more mm. damage, like end fights and not take any damage. But say it's a sword that every single time you draw it, it needs to draw blood. You can't draw it just to threaten someone or you can't back down from a fight. You can't find the peaceful alternative. The second that that sword is drawn, it needs to taste blood. See, that to me, I love that idea, but that's also dependent on them role-playing. And again, a lot of the time, that's just the resource management. It's like, cool, I've drawn my sword. Oh, there's not going to be a fight. All right, I cut my hand and cast cure wounds. I'm better now. Hmm, and but let's say I, perhaps it needs to taste a certain level of blood. Yeah, or it needs to taste a certain someone, creature's blood. needs to die, or someone needs to die. Yeah, it's like this is the sword you bring out and it has to taste a humanoid's blood. It needs to taste a dragon's blood. It needs to taste a halfling's blood because they're, they're the creepiest. Everyone's always like, oh, you got a dragon sword. Oh, you got this. And then you find like the sword of human slaying and it's like, what yeah. are they doing with that? Yeah. It does um, also require a little bit more buy-in for the the player. They need to be on board um, with that idea. Otherwise, they will just kind of treat it blase. Blase. You know blase. what I mean? Yeah, they'll be yeah. blase about it. I had something I was well, going to say about yeah. the the idea of the curse sword that needs to taste blood, and I've forgotten it. So you go. Uh, but um, I think that's why you should never start someone off with a cursed weapon you should make it so mm. it has a curse that they it has a benefit that they care about um so for shizu they um that power was able to help her protect people and to become an adventurer that you know does a lot more good than they ever did ill um, that yeah. was the benefit. Um, and that was tied to Shizu's character of someone that did genuinely want to help the downtrodden and also that wanted to make amends for the pain that they had caused with this gift. Um, so you would need to essentially make it a character that, you know, if we were to go back on the cursed sword, you would need to make a character that was perhaps maybe a little too blasé about starting fights um, mm. or a little bit too ready, but still, but wanted to, but always wanted to fight for the innocent. Like so, yeah. someone who, like very much a white knight type character. Yeah. Won't back down from a fight, but will go out and seek good, the good fight. Exactly. And that's when you would bring in a cursed sword to maybe sort of challenge that character notion of just like, well, is there any, is there such a thing as a good fight? You know, are you just enacting your will and your strength upon other people? And if you find yourself in a situation where you are having to draw blood it might now be from an innocent person or someone yeah. you were able to talk down. It, it's it's starting to create create, uh, create those ethical dilemmas that Dungeon Masters love to give so much. Exactly. I, I remember what I wanted to say about it, yeah, um, it earlier. I'm This kind of ties in with the ethical dilemma as well, actually. Giving a curse that doesn't affect the player, but affects everyone around them. Mm. Like something like every fail, every failed hit is a critical failure and it doesn't happen to you, but it happens to all of your companions. Yeah. So it's like, you're fine, but no one wants to be your friend anymore. Yeah. So do you get yourself fixed? Cause you're, you're okay. Oh, we, we forgot about the most famous cursed item of all. Oh, the ring of the power. Ring. Yeah. The ring of power. Yeah. Um, you know how it's affecting everyone's mood. Like it's it's useful because you know it allows you know the one that's actually carrying it to turn invisible or you know gain awesome power if they decide to use it in that aspect. 
Um, but it also means that there is a powerful magic item that not only is being coveted by a lot of people around you, but also um, is affecting the mood um, of everyone or like might be giving points of exhaustion to people um, for reasons unknown. Like that, but that is an example of a really good cursed item. Yeah. One um, that you can't even dare to use, but is so vital that yes. you can't get rid of it. Exactly. Mm. But that's also, it's like, well, what have I got it for? If I could get rid of it. But that's kind of the whole point of Lord of the Rings, of course. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's a, get, let's get rid of the curse quest. Yeah. Yeah, like you can do entire quests around curses. And yeah. there have been some famous ones, like Critical Role was a great example, that there's yeah. an entire quest to get rid of, of um, Not's Curse. There's, yeah. there's other ones where the curse exists and they don't. They just got to find out why is it being more aggressive now. And that's in the, yeah. the campaign three with, with a werewolf. It's mm. Curses to me are anyone... so... I'm not trying not to spoil anything um, for those who haven't watched watched Campaign yeah, 3 yet. I find that curses in particular are just so crucial to storytelling, in particularly in fantasy storytelling. Like you go back to the um, the the Moorcock books and Elric has the cursed sword that must have blood and like controls him and all these things. And it's like, that's epic. That's storytelling. And players want to get rid of them as soon as they get them. It's like that makes sense, yeah. but they are such an opportunity for storytelling. Absolutely, and I, and I wonder. Interesting mechanics, yeah. I wonder if it's is it because they get a little too confusing and you just want to roll dice and smack things, or is it not the story they want to tell, uh, or is it does the game master take it a little bit too far sometimes? It's, I think it's so. The main problem and with with curses. Unless you are going to give the party like a bunch of generally specific curses, usually it comes down to the fact that the cursed person gets a lot of focus. Yeah. Um, which in a group game like D and D, um, especially if you have a larger party, and if you have people that are more there to have social fun it can be a point of frustration, not only because one person's getting the focus, but also because that person's causing trouble. Yeah. And that can cause tension if um, your players aren't really ready for it. Um, the reason that, you know, it worked well in Critical Role is because these guys have been playing together for years and they just want to see a good story. Mm. Um, and it's also about talking about it beforehand and saying, well, this will be your arc and this will be your arc later on. I, I recently, my most recent character started out with a curse and I wanted it to be like a corruption thing where slowly he started to mutate if we didn't stop it. But part of it was also, I wanted to stop at a certain point and maybe he has to deal with the consequences going forward. But for the first Mm. month or two of sessions, it was the party having to deal with my curse. Yeah. Because it was suddenly... Oh, I'm like my teeth are falling out. Like I'm a, a liability in the group. We need to fix this. Exactly. And, and particularly and when my player was such a dick. A oh, sorry, my player. <laughs> yeah, it's like suddenly yeah. a liability. Sorry, no, not my DM. My character. Uh, like my character mm. was an absolute dick about. It. He's like, "What are you helping me for? I don't need help. I'm I'm strong. I'm I'm tough. I don't I don't need anyone." Kind of attitude, which was what he was going to be from the start. But when there was a moment where someone's like, "Why are we even helping you?" Like, because that's the game we're playing. I mean, I don't, you don't have to. He's probably going to survive. The game master's not that mean. I guess that's the thing. If you have a situation where people are only helping you because that's the story. Yeah. That's where I find where a lot of the curse stuff does get uh, trying. Um, So like, I I think that, you know, if I were to, as a DM, go critical on okay you want to have a curse then make sure that your your personality isn't also cursed you know you yeah. want to help she's yeah. because she is capable and yeah. 
funny and kind and also like um it relates to the main character like she's someone you want to help that unfortunately is afflicted with this terrible curse um you know same with frodo um you mm. want to have someone who is a liar if you're going to have someone who is a liability physically you better make sure that emotionally they make up for it yeah. um or at least that is at, at absolutely least if you we're going to just like, if you're going to make a curse a main part of your personality, that's what I would suggest. That is by no means an absolute rule of thumb, but um, a cursed character should, th there should be a certain level of bittersweetness to them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there should be a reason for people want to cure the curse rather than just, ha ha, suck to be you kind of, yeah. kind of attitude. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I probably should have um, reconsidered that character in in the start. Uh, I think another part of the curse is that you need to pick. Yeah, I think when you're giving a curse to a character, like no character wants to be cursed. That's kind yeah. of the point. But things happen. You pick up the wrong object. Yeah. You roll badly all day, kind of thing, and you get a curse. That's yeah. when I think the game master should sit with the character and go, or sit with the player and say. Okay, curses can go one of two ways. You fix it or you succumb to it. Like those are the two ways a curse can go. Which do you think is a better story? And that's what we'll lean into. Yeah. Like if you want to fix it, then there's a quest to cure the curse. If you want to succumb to it, then maybe there's still a quest to cure the curse, but it gets worse and worse and worse and you don't make it there and you do get that tragedy of, oh, I've got to destroy my friends uh, because I'm so hungry. I'm a werewolf now. Yeah, exactly. And I think once you know where the curse is going, you can ride it out. I think players will much happy to ride it out to the end if they know which way they're going to end up. Exactly. Maybe uh, that's otherwise me. Otherwise it just seems like this guy just being a dick for dick's sake. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, so, so, so yeah, that's curses. that's curses. Um, we are running out of time. There's a few things, yes. oh, a few other things I wanted to talk about. The fact that everyone's cool with like Rimuru just fucking eating people. Um, they're well, super mean, like, calm he, about he's that now. Himself to be a decent guy, but yeah, that has always struck me as a little bit odd. There. I mean, I, honestly, I like that they're okay with it in the end, but there's just no gap. Like between yeah. between it happening and then being okay with it. It's like, yeah, you ain't that guy. Okay. I feel it's a little bit of stock not Stockholm syndrome, but a little bit of he's gonna eat me if I say he I'm mad, right? Yeah, true, true. Um <laughs> uh, so I do I do ooh. love the fact I do love that scene where they essentially ask Re Marie to turn back into Shizu so they can get that chance yeah. to buy. Yeah, that that's that reminded me of the end of Angel, and I I don't want to be reminded of the end of Angel right now. So <laughs> it was very it was very good. Um, what else do I want to talk about? The stomach of holding that um that when Veldora uh, yeah. showed back up, it was just like again reminded me of Buffy and Angel, where they chuck a, a demon into Angel. And he's like, hey, I've been living here in this body for a lot longer than you, buddy, and just rips him apart. Uh, and the new villain that shows up at the very end. Um, yes. which I'm guessing we'll just talk about in future episodes. Absolutely. Gelmute. You get to, uh, yeah, so, these, some bird dude. Interesting. Okay. Okay, yes. cool. I'm not a fan of the orc design, but we'll get to that too. So, mm. uh, it's one last thing to do before we say goodbye. And that is to yep. pick the crit fail or the crit success from this episode, the um, character that managed to roll high or low, depending on what system they're using, but was able to succeed when they should have failed or failed when just really stupidly. Uh, Caleb, would you like to go first? Yes. Um, actually, I might I might have a couple because I discussed Ooh. one before with you. Um, you did, and you've come you up with a new Aaron's, one since then. I did, I did. So Aaron's um, critical success was on like the nature checks, like knowing that, or the um, maybe an arcana check, Knowing yeah. that spirits um, are weak to magic, as well as making sure there's ice magic so it doesn't evaporate before mm -hmm. it reaches them. Yeah, that was um, pretty so cool. I like that in the boss fight, too. Mm. 
Um, yeah, I, I love interactions of different types. I, I wish there was honestly more of that in D and D. Yeah. Um, but I think the crit fail was honestly the wisdom check for Shizu. Before oh yeah. Turns. I think she, she's been rolling ro rolling with disadvantage for a while, but and that one was the the nat one that finally broke it for it out completely hey i like that idea that it was because we see a couple of times where she's like having dreams and like lashing out a little bit and freaking out and it is those are the failures something bad's occurred and then when that that critical fail comes out it's like oh he's there if yeah, it's come that, back that was the one yeah 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 that's pretty cool i'm gonna give a similar one uh i'm gonna give the crit fail to ifrit <laughs> simply be and it's it's an unfair one i know but he sees Rimuru and he like unleashes the fight, like, what was it? Like Inferno Circle or something yeah. um, on him. And it does nothing. Does yeah. absolutely nothing. And then when Rimuru comes out, he's like, oh, I better use more fire. It's like, yeah, you think a like, weaker attack's going to work then? Yeah. Just, hey. just like at, at that point, I, I love the idea of just letting your boss be petulant towards the end. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> just like I, I don't know times and it's funny it's so the funny. my father will hear of this attitude exactly exactly uh, if you've got a party that you know um is about to curb stomp the boss the, yeah. the boss getting to be like go from like this big threat to just utter petulant behavior yeah that that is, i gotta run i gotta run <laughs> flee yep yep flee or just like um um blow fire <laughs> uh does this work still no it's not what i don't understand i mean in ifrit's defense all they are is fire like yeah. what else they got they got fire exactly. and they got maybe a side of fire so yeah. it's not like they can do anything else but it's still it's still just funny to me yeah yeah <laughs> uh so that is uh this that is it that is us that is this for this week. That is if uh, for this week. I love it. Uh, thank you for listening. It's been um, great talking with you, Caleb. Thanks for coming on. To you too, Jeremy, as always. Uh, thank you to the, the audience. Yes, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing some orcs. And uh, yes. judging from the next episode title, some ogres too. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, God. Just you wait for the ogres. Oh, yeah. I'm sure I'm going to have fun with the ogres. Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, if you want to get in touch with the show, you can send an email to dndntvpod at gmail.com uh, or find us on Instagram where you can see uh, screen caps of the show and a little funny comment that I like to make as well. Uh, and also stuff that we're just doing in general. But that is at dndntvpod at, uh, or not at, on Instagram. Uh, Caleb, can people find you online places or do you want them to find you places? They can indeed. Uh, they can find me on What's a Caleb. I am not as active right now, but I do have some stuff in the works that will become apparent soon enough. And once Ooh. they do, you will be able to find them there. Uh, do we also have a sponsor for this week, Jeremy? We do. We are brought to you by Masters of Alchemy, the premier game mastering service in Melbourne uh, that runs games all over the map all over the place any game you want we can do the star wars rpg the d6 version or the fantasy fight version or just dungeons and dragons or fallout or call of cthulhu or anything that i've got in my library basically um oh, because Tama, I'm... Anyone wanna play, if anyone wants to play oh yeah Tama, please yeah if you like that time i got reincarnated as a slime you should absolutely ask me to play ryutama I, I will... hey, it sounds like you want to play ryutama oh just a little bit desperately yeah you know what you could do <laughs> You could go to mastersofalchemy.com and book a game master to run Riyatama for you. I could. I could. There you go. If anyone else wants to, then they I can as they well. Can join me. Yeah. There you go. So uh, if you loved our little comedy bit just then, leave us a rating and review on wherever podcasts are found. Uh, five stars would be really great. And tell your friends as well. So and I guess that's it. So until next time, stay safe, be kind to yourselves, may all your hits be crits, and we'll see you next time you get reincarnated as a slime. See you next time.
This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. Always was, always will be. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging.